Yeehaw, hello and howdy. Thank you for joining us on the Canon Stats podcast. We're going to try some video today, so we'll see how this overall goes. Um, seemed like there was some pretty good response to the initial YouTube version of it. So we'll, we'll try to lean into it and do a little bit more. Um, we're we're going to have a lot to talk about today. They, we are in no shortage of topics. So I think we'll start with some Southampton stuff, maybe lean into some Saliba look forward to city and then we'll kind of get into whatever else we have time for. Um, I'm Scott Willis and always I am joined by my co-host Adam Bogey. Welcome Adam. Happy St. Hodgins Sam day. Yeah. Right. Uh, that was uh, the ultimate silver lining and an otherwise very dark cloud over the weekend. Wasn't it that we could, yeah, we can't smile without them. Right. <sighs> yeah. Oh, well I would rather be St. You know, City Ham's Day or whatever at this point, but uh, who knows if we'll get that? Who knows if anyone will get that anytime soon at this rate? Um, so I know that this has probably been something that everybody's been doing, but how many different lineup permutations have you gone through in your head over the last few days? Way too many. Um, it's it's funny because I feel like I mean, don't you feel like on some level, like the sli- the lineup is already determined for Wednesday, um, barring. Barring somebody getting, you know, a tummy tummy ache like Jacka did or sniffles or whatever he had uh, on Friday, it just feels like it feels like Arteta is not um, too much of a tinkerer. So I just, uh, you know, my that's my psych read on him is I think he's probably already decided. And yeah. meanwhile, I can't decide a hypothetical lineup um, here <laughs> days before the game. So I'm glad I'm not the manager. Yeah. All right. So let's kind of. Dig in. So I have here my, my label as uh, what the heck is happening with Arsenal right now. Yeah. <clears throat> it, it feels really weird. So we have three draws in a row, um, two, you know, two dimes where we drew from 2-0 up, and now we get a draw from being 2-0 down. Yeah. Uh, crazy stuff happening in Arsenal matches right now. Yes, yes. And we, um, one of our followers on, on Twitter, I think, pointed out kind of an interesting thing. Like, we could have won against Liverpool and lost the other two or one against West Ham and lost the other two, or, or one on Friday and lost the other two. And we'd be in the same place. Um, I feel like the attitude would probably be a little different. And I think that's a good point um, that he made, but I, yeah, it's just, um, I mean, I think it's pretty well publicized that the defending is just kind of abandoned us really. Um, there's just been, it's like a collective it's been, I think if you, if you look at each one individually, it's kind of like a collective series of let-offs uh, or, mm-hmm. or just like defensive, like brain farts that seem to be happening. Um, I don't know how else to describe what happened to Aaron Ramsdale at the beginning, passing out like that. I don't know how to describe, you know, the, the party turnover against West Ham, uh, the, the party turnover that leads to the corner uh, for the third goal. Um, you know, Rob holding, um, uh, probably could have played that corner better. Uh, Zinchenko didn't really track anyone at the back post though. <laughs> and, um, you know, I mean, whether, whether uh, Zinchenko should have been able to stop what I really thought was like a one in a hundred nutmegging from Trent is, is up for debate, but um, on the cross, Ben White loses his man at the back post. So it's just, it's kind it kind of feels pretty spread out. Um, like, like it's a little bit of everybody's fault, yeah. but they're just mistake after mistake after mistake. And it's not it. It's not that we weren't seeing mistakes um, in the first part of the season before the World Cup or even World Cup to April, um, but it just seems like they're getting more and more numerous. And I don't know. Maybe that's 
Maybe that is somehow to blame on Rob Holding. Maybe everybody's freaked out that he's in the lineup. Um, you know, I've said publicly that uh, if that is the case, we've got bigger problems than just one guy. But um, oh, yeah. it, it's, it just seems like maybe maybe there is some level of whether it's, you know, the, the toll of a long season or just the pressure that, um, you know, one bad thing, one bad thing happens and it seems to kind of snowball a little bit and get away. Um, that, that's just what it feels like to me. Maybe if we, if we stop playing with our dinner at two, two nil up at West Ham, things are different, but we didn't. So here we are. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I guess I have a, some thoughts here. Like, it feels like we are having like the ultimate like punishment for some of the things that have happened against us where, you know, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily deserved. I mean, it's stuff that, that happens in sport, right? Like this is kind of what makes it fun. And you, you kind of have these sorts of moments that, that happen, but it feels like we've gotten the ultimate punishment in basically every situation so far this season, or at least, you know, in the last couple of games. Yeah. Uh, what, do, what do you think about that? Like, is it, that yeah, more of the problem or fair. yeah i mean i do think that's fair i think that you know there's that stretch in the second half where uh against southampton specifically where things look so dire um like just dead and then and then odegaard makes it two three and then all of a sudden we're back again um but you know for for southampton to score the three that they scored i think that you know there were some things that that had to kind of bounce against us um you know, I give Carlos Alcaraz like a lot of credit. He played a pretty much a perfect ball to Walcott for that goal. But, you know, just things like wrong bounce of the ball, um, you know, things like Reese Nelson missing by probably a couple inches off that really weird deflection. That would have been a s- stupid, crazy goal if it had happened. Uh, you know, Leandro Trossard hitting the crossbar. I mean, you just look at like, I've, I've kind of stopped. I've moved a, away from XG a little bit on an individual game basis and like to look mm-hmm. a little bit more at field tilts and, and XG together and, you know, just shots and everything. Um, and you, you look at the balance of the last two games and it's not like, it's really not like Arsenal are going out there and getting pantsed um, and then getting a lucky draw. Like they're spamming a result where they were, they were completely outplayed. It's, it's largely um, Southampton in particular. It's largely a one-sided game, where the other side. I think what was the shots twenty-five to eight, but shots on target was like five to six. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, a, so a very just, weird kind of statistical match overall. Um, yeah. Just before, like, yeah, I want to like break down like more of the Southampton match, but so I was I was looking here. So I, I know there's kind of a lot of like hand wringing about like the set play stuff and there has been quite a bit of a change there but it's not i don't think as big of a change as some people might think so i was looking here over the the last six matches arsenal are giving up 2.6 um set play shots per match um before the fulham game so going back to bournemouth um arsenal were about two so we're seeing about um less than one shot and almost all of that change comes from seven against west ham so like I, I feel like there's some some weird stuff that kind of happens there. Um, just the overall shot stuff again. Like I think that is really highly drawn by Liverpool, where they had 19 open play shots against Arsenal. Um, so like that brings it to nine total over the last matches compared to just under seven total for this you know the the season before that. So it's like mm-hmm. I don't think the defensive numbers have been all that different. I think it just really kind of feels like we're being 
punished pretty significantly with kind of the the results overall going against us. Yeah, yeah, I I definitely agree with that. It's kind of a with Liverpool, there were a number of of high high probability chances that they did not take at the end. Um, and that yeah. and, and again, I, like right, and you think about again, I, I think this that's, that's a good point, right? Where we're looking at single game XG can kind of skew things because almost all of Liverpool's XG happens in the last what 10, 15 minutes of that mm-hmm. match. Like they have a huge bump there. Um, yeah. Before you know, you kind of think about in that second half, Arsenal actually did really well to kind of limit what they were able to do. Right, and it's just yeah, they, they end up getting like three XG in you know, 15 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, Aaron Ramsdale, a lot of credit for what he did toward the end of that game, but um, yeah, it just, it feels like with the exception of that kind of 10 minute stretch um, West Ham and I mean, obviously give the penalty away um, to West Ham, right. We gave a penalty away in that game, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, And, and see, I'm losing track. It's been too (laughs) hard to watch. Um, But, but you, so you give that away. But outside of that, it feels like it feels like just, yeah, some really like clinical type stuff being thrown in our faces. And then we haven't been very clinical, um, you know, with the exception of a couple of guys, really. And it's just it's just kind of like when it rains, it pours. It's like the perfect storm of of bad things that can happen sometimes in sports. So, I mean, that's that's why, like you said, that's why you play the games, though, um, you know. Although, although city is a, is a collection of 11 cyborgs that they just like <laughs> re oil and take off their USB chargers and then send out onto the pitch every game, things like that happen to them too. They, they came out and largely dominated Nottingham forest and got a one, one draw. Um, so, you know, you can't rule out stuff like that happening again, especially as they get tired. And, you know, I mean, I just look at that week in may where they host Chelsea, probably an easy win, but then at Bournemouth or sorry, at Brentford at Brighton, three days apart, a week ahead of their Manchester City, uh, Manchester United FA Cup final. Like, it's gonna, there's just going to be. I think there might be some weird stuff that happens, weirder than people well, think. Yeah, and maybe maybe we'll have another Frank Lampard, you know, masterpiece against him, right? Because I think he had he was the coach for the Everton. I think they had two shots in that match and ended up with a one-one draw. Yeah, I, I would take something like that again from Frank Lampard if he wants to. Well, you know, have a stock do. rise with me. They do have to visit Everton as well. Um, Sean Dyche is kind of the master of, you know, just playing 90 minutes of complete trash and getting a result <laughs> out of it somehow against teams that are way better than him, especially at his own in his own building. I was I was about to say Turf Moore. He's been at Burnley for so long, but um, at Goodison. So that's that's not necessarily an easy fixture either, especially when you're looking ahead to Real Madrid. Um, it's, you know, there's, there's just, I feel like, I feel like for all the, for all the talk about Arsenal and our schedule, we still have to go to St. James Park, blah, blah, blah. Um, really very little on City. And I think that really the only thing that would have made people even like take any notice of their schedules, if it was seven games and like five of them were against the big six, four of them were away. Uh, but people, I mean, I think you kind of have, you kind of underrate the difficulty. And I mean, we, you know what, we have wolves on the final day of the season, like things like that can, can mess with you too. be a lot harder than you expect. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of holding out hope that wolves will be safe and on the beach and we can have a nice day out in the sunshine. Um, And then hopefully it leads to lifting the the trophy at the end. But um, I know that's a, 
uh, a little unlikely. Let's let's dig into the Southampton match. So I guess the, a good place to start is the lineup. So Granite Xhaka misses with illness. What was your initial thoughts with Vieira coming in? Was that your your change that you would have done? Yeah, it was. Okay. Um, I think I think that the the educated person should not be surprised at Fabio Vieira's uh, performance this season. I think that he, you know, he came in, he did not start last season as a main 11 player for Porto. He, he, it took him a while to break through. He probably about half of the season. Uh, Once Luis Diaz was gone, that's when he really started to get a lot more chances. And, you know, I think you watch, you watch him play for one game. He's slight. He's not, he's not a big guy and he's probably never going to be a physically strong person. He's a finesse player. Um, but that's, you know, that's why I've maintained forever and ever and ever that the future is not party uh, Vieira Odegaard. It's just not, or Rice or whomever at six. It's just not. He's a Martin Odegaard. Um, it's, he's not a clone of Martin Odegaard, but I think he's, that's the role that he's meant to play or emergency right wing. Although I think most people mm-hmm. would prefer one of three or four choices ahead of him for good reason. So that said, um, I think coming into that game, you could not, uh, you could not deny that the three times that he'd been called upon to play in important games with the starters that he had performed well, uh, you know, he had, the, he had the very good performance at Brentford early in the season, which really fed into the hype of him and potentially being better than expected and all this stuff. Uh, he started at Bournemouth. That was a game where we struggled to control the midfield a little bit. Um, but I thought his performance was, I mean, it was better than, than this last one anyway. Um, and then against, I believe it was against Wolves, Granite Jacka came off with an injury and he ended up playing like 75 minutes um, and did well. He got an assist in that game. So I don't blame Arteta at all for that choice. I think that there's a tremendous amount of, uh, at risk of getting myself in trouble, a tremendous amount of overconfidence in Emile Smith-Rowe right now uh, in, the Ar- Ar- in the Arsenal fan base. Yeah. Um, not necessarily saying that he's bad or anything like that, but... Um, I don't think that he, I, th- I just, I just don't think that he should really enter into that conversation right now. So that, that was my feeling was that it was the closest thing to write that we could do. Yeah. Other than I think the only thing he- that, that I had in my head when you know, I saw that was maybe it's Trissard that comes in. Um, you know, you kind of think like if, of a guy on form who would deserve to get that spot. I, that would have been my only thing that potentially could have pushed me there. But you think about what Arteta has done, and he is a guy that really kind of likes to stick with like for like when he has the choice mm-hmm. to be able to do things. You know, Vieira was probably you know the first choice no matter what. Um, I guess I would have only thought maybe that is where Trissard could potentially come in. But you know, we haven't really seen Trissard start from that kind of position, and it, it yeah. seems like it's more of a an emergency thing. And right. We saw it like for the last 30 minutes of this game. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, that's kind of, that rings like correct for me. Um, and always has, as long as the Trissardi stuff has been out there is that if you need firepower and you are willing to, to risk the back, then yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, after, after what happened against Southampton, I, I wouldn't blame Arteta for wanting to try try Trossard as the as the other eight if he had to. Uh, I think you're going to run into a lot of the same problems though. Um, yeah, 
the the big advantage being that um, Trossard is more experienced, and I think that um, you know, especially this was something like you know he's getting up to like 500 minutes in the Premier League now, Fabio Vieira. So you know he's still he's still settling in. Fans do not have patience for players to settle in. It's understandable, uh, particularly particularly in a title race. Um, but yeah, it's gonna it's gonna take some time because he's not he's not like the P and P guy. He's a very much a finesse guy. He goes by feel. Um, and you know, when those guys get out of their rhythm, it's, it's tough. They look, they look a little rough. Uh, I mean, Lord knows Odegaard has had games where he just wasn't in his bag basically and looked really bad. Um, you know, you could argue like the first hour of that game, Odegaard did not look great. So, um, yeah, I think you could say like for the first hour, like Vieira was actually a better player than Odegaard was. I think yeah, at the very least they were about the same. Um, but, but one guy not being the captain and not being in the starting lineup, I think, you know, made him more of a target for some of that. Yeah. And you know, he's the, the easiest one to point to because he's not, you know, among the first 11, he doesn't have the, the credit in the bank necessarily that Odegaard has, um, and I think some of the the frustration with Vieira, because I know I certainly felt it watching the match, was that he got on like the end of a few like kind of plays, and like there was a couple moments where like it felt like the shot was there for him to take it, and he shied away or he tried to pass, or I think there was the one moment where he you know took an extra touch and then tried to like very carefully like pass it into the corner rather yeah. than, you know, kind of put the laces through it kind of a thing. So I think those kind of moments really stick with people because they're, you know, very visceral. You see that and it's like, oh, this is a chance. Why aren't we, you know, doing better to take it? So I think those things really kind of stick with him. And, you know, I, I was certainly frustrated with Vieira, but I think all in all, it was like a six out of ten kind of thing. Like he wasn't like the problem. And I think that kind of leads into the next one, like, what if anything like do you think was the problem in this match like i know a lot of people are saying oh rob holding was the problem and i think there's some domino kind of effects kind of withholding but i, I don't know like he is what he is at this point right mm-hmm. yeah and um you know this is what uh this would have been start number 5 for him yeah i think so i don't think that you're at the point now where we can say um you know, guys are freaked out to be playing with them. Uh, saw Zinchenko early in the game after holding, I think maybe played a played a poor pass or something and turned it over. Once play stopped, Zinchenko came over and said, "Hey, head up! Like you know, you know, you can play these balls." I don't think he's just like lying to him, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, holding holding to me, um, and you know, going back to the the I think is the twenty twenty one season, he ended up starting like twenty eight league games. Um, he actually had pretty darn good passing numbers. I think that high line really exposes him quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and he's not, he's not the guy for that. Uh, you know, he's not, he's not fleet afoot. So it's, it's a little tough, but you know what, what happened? Um, listen, I don't, I don't like blaming individual players or something, but I can't help wonder how that game goes differently. If Ramsdale doesn't play that ball. Um, yeah, that first one, right? 25 seconds. Uh, you know, we came into that game with a ton of pressure on us. I think that, um, you know, this is new territory for a lot of these guys. Um, and, you know, there, I think there is a certain era of inevitability to Manchester City. So 
to come out in a, in a high pressure situation where they want to like step on somebody's throat and get a four nil win and come out and be like, yeah, we are title contenders. And then to have your keeper ship a goal in the first 20, 25 seconds is just, I mean, it's a shot to the, to the throat. Yeah. And I don't really blame guys for getting shook because of that. Um, so, you know, you wonder, you just, you just wonder what happened. Um, you know, for all, for all the great things about Ramsdale, I mean, this is the first time he's been top half of the table or second time because last season, mm-hmm. um, this late in the season. So, you know, maybe it's just something that he's got to get used to. I don't know, but it, it felt like, it just felt like a major mental error on his part. Yeah. And I think this was like the first time this season where I really kind of feel like the team panicked after mm-hmm. that, you know, normally like we've seen, you know, Every time, or at least it feels like every time Arsenal have gone down, the team is able to handle it, right the ship, respond relatively quickly. I think that's been one of the signature things that this team has done this year. And it really felt like everybody rushed everything right away. Um, It felt like we needed to go get that equalizer in the next five minutes. When, yeah. you know, in reality, right, we had 90 minutes. Like, I mean, I think everybody would have backed Arsenal to score two goals in 90 yeah. minutes at the oh, start yeah. of the, you know, like that one goal really shouldn't have changed things as much as it did. But it really did feel like for, you know, 20 minutes until, you know, Theo Walcott scores, you know, the signature Theo Walcott goal, Arsenal were totally on tilt. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I mean, I, I, I completely agree. And you, uh, you know, it's, it's not what you want to see. Um, it's difficult. I mean, it, it's, you know, that's, I think that's the thing that people forget is that these, these sports, especially the ones that come down to like inches and millimeters, like the mental aspect of it is so big. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if that wasn't true, you wouldn't see players like Tommy Asu, for example, like an incredibly intelligent player, so reliable, so technical, I mean, he came in for a stretch and it seemed like he just had forgotten how to pass the ball forward. Like every ball off of his foot was bad for a while. Um, He, you know, he got through it and that's, that's the way to get out of it is to like trust your plan. And it, it did seem like, like that was not quite um, Arsenal going forward for that stretch before the second goal. It was like you said, it was like, I, I would, you know, Arsenal, I would say, you you would probably describe them as like a like a high powered uh, attacking side, but you I don't think you would say that they were a fast paced attacking side. Uh, it's definitely more deliberate. Um, it's more like it's more feeling out the defense and finding the exploiting the the opportunities that you get that way. And they just they you're right they look like they were they were trying to force it. Yeah. So I think one of the other things that stuck out at me for this match and I wanted to get your thoughts on it is the period right after halftime where Southampton make a change. They go to the back five um, and basically seed possession to Arsenal. What do you make of Arsenal's kind of like inability to actually create anything from there? Like, is that a worry or was it just kind of like, you know, weird things can happen in 25 minute stretches, I guess. Yeah. What is, what are your thoughts from there? Cause I, I, yeah, I guess I came out worried. Yeah. I mean, so at that point, like here's your rewind is it's two one going into the half. Uh, Martinelli scored shortly after the Walcott goal. 
and Arsenal, generally speaking, kept the pressure pretty high the rest of the half. Um, and then, yeah, I think uh, took off Ruben Celis took off Alcaraz and brought on yeah. Lianco, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's he's going full on five at the back. I tweeted at the time, like, you know, you guys, a point actually doesn't help Southampton. You guys should be going for a win. Um, and, you know, sure enough, they, they drew. And it's not going to help them avoid relegation. But anyway... Um, yeah, so I mean, they were we Arsenal were all over the final third um, for that first what fifteen to twenty minutes. Um, but you're right; it was like few shots, if any, between. Yeah, I think there was zero minutes. shots. So I was looking here. So all the way until Southampton get their third goal, um, yeah. Arsenal have almost eighty percent possession. They have eighty percent field till. So really, really controlling the ball. Um, I think one of the things I, I looked here too is that. In the first half, Southampton did really well pressing Arsenal um, and not making it easy to be able to get through in the second half, or at least that first part of that second half. Like they just abandoned the press almost entirely. Um, yeah, you know, Arsenal basically were like perfect in passing in their own half. Like it was really, you know, they tried a few long balls that didn't come off, but overall, like if they wanted to pass the ball in their own half, they were doing it without any sort of, um, you know, pressure on them at all. So I think that is the one that, that kind of worries me. So yeah, 12 shots in the first half, basically, and then zero for the first 25 minutes, which was uh, certainly a worry. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely worrying. It's like, it's it's hard to describe exactly, but sometimes you get the feeling that, um, that this side is an attacking group. Um, kind of does the opposite of what I was talking about a minute ago, where they were trying to force it through. They're kind of like they're kind of like looking for the chance sometimes instead of trying to, you know, maybe take something that is a little bit less, but I think that, you know, a few other things really came into play. I mean, Jesus didn't have his, have his best game in the box. Um, I I thought he kind of, there were a lot of times where it just seemed like he was struggling to establish himself at all with the ball anywhere near there. Um, You know, that first like hour, really was rough for Odegaard too. I think if you're looking for a ball in to create a chance, um, a lot of them are going to come from him that, you know, to a lot of credit to, to Saka and Martinelli, I thought they, they were awesome and, and they were great in that stretch too. They're just dominating the fullbacks, but I don't know. I mean, I, I wish I had a good explanation for why that was happening. It just feels like sometimes it's like patience to a fault. Um, and then you end up not seeing anything. Or maybe, or or like a party aired shot from thirty yards, or something <laughs> like that, is what happens. Yeah, no, it was a, a very weird kind of thing. But then, you know, Arsenal did um, get the flurry of pressure at the end. It nearly came off. Um, you know, I remember, you know, the, the first goal, or the, you, get, you get to three two, and I'm like, maybe. And then we get it to three three with, and I was like, really, maybe now, and like, there was the two two chances where it was probably like a matter of. Um, you know, probably 10 inches total between those two shots. And, you know, and that could have been the difference in the match. Yeah. No, I mean, I give, I give um, it, I I guess in, in a lot of ways, like as an attacker off the bench, it's kind of like your dream. You want to come in where it's just like full bore all going forward, like in Kedia and Trossard and Nelson. And just like, when are, when are you going to see all the attacking subs used at once? But um, without taking too much away from them, I thought I thought they all did well um, in their chances to to come on, especially Nelson and Trossard. I thought were really 
were valuable um, late on in the game. But yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I still, it still feels emotional for me. It still hurts because uh, I think you, you know, you can make an argument for the second goal, but I just feel like the, the first and the third were kind of given away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's a, a good spot to kind of make a, a pivot to some, you know, looking forward stuff rather than, than looking back. But first, let's do a quick housekeeping. Uh, the show is supported by our much appreciated premium subscribers, where for just $5 a month, you'll get at least five additional articles per month um, of things. Uh, we just have a, an article out to, uh, actually yesterday looking at Mason Mount and how he potentially fit with Arsenal. So you'll get awesome stuff like that. Um, if you enjoy the episode, um, you know, be able to give us a review, be able to, if you're watching on YouTube, give us a the thumbs up doing those kinds of things. Um, yeah, we really appreciate everybody listening. We're, we're trying to get back into doing this uh, a little bit more regularly. So um, yeah, if you like the show, we, we really appreciate all those kinds of things. So the big topic on everybody's mind now is what to do with Saliba. So yeah. Ornstein is reporting today that he is going to be out for Manchester City, potentially out now for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Do you, I mean, I, I think we just talked about it this, right, when we saw the lineup for Southampton. Do you think he's going to make a change now with City on the horizon, seeing that he didn't do it for Southampton to kind of do a practice run? It's a great question. Um, and, and you do, I wish I, I wish I knew to what extent uh, the possibility of Saliba returning is playing on Arteta's decisions. Um, because so the thing about the thing that always gave me a little bit of optimism that Saliba maybe would return is that they didn't shut him down when he, when he, you know, went through all the, tests and everything mm-hmm. uh, you know we've seen that we've seen that with other players El Neni immediately shut down gets a surgery Tommy Asu was on the operating table like the night after sporting or the morning after um, yeah. so you know if if I knew what that guy's back is what's going on there and what the prognosis is I feel like it'd be so much easier to figure out what Arteta's thinking um, but you know in, as far as like the lineup moving forward I mean you know, it's been it's been a couple years now, and I, I've tried to pay attention to kind of him and his patterns, his patterns of thought, his patterns of like reasoning. Um, and if I were Mikel, like I, I would not be shocked if Mikel Arteta came away from the Southampton result and said, uh, "We played better in that game. We made mistakes. We made we made incredibly costly mistakes. Uh, same lineup." Granit Xhaka in, get rid of the mistakes, and we can do it. I would not be shocked if he did that. Um, to the to the point that I might even say like 60, 65% sure that I'm pretty sure he's going to do the same lineup. Um, but we'll see. <laughs> On the other hand, um, there's a part of me that says, you know, there's like a stagnation. There's like a faltering that's happening here. Um, maybe a change for change's sake for like, uh, morale's sake might be a good move as a manager. Um, I think that sometimes in, in sports, you do end up uh, sending the wrong message by playing the same lineup repeatedly when it's not working. Even if it's a small tweak, sometimes that can have like a little bit of a of a boost for your guys. So there is a part of me that says, 
Arteta, this is this is your chance, man. This is you got to get you. You probably have to get three, yeah. um, at least one uh, at the Etihad. You can't you can't go in there and lose by multiple goals. You just can't do it. Um, so, like, this is, you know, go full pep here. This is your chance. Yeah. And I've, I've been thinking a lot about this and I think I ultimately landed on kind of matching them you know, in the, the three diamond three formation as being potentially the, the most likely um, if I was going to make a change. And I, I think you make a change here because I think what Southampton did in this match has to be kind of responded to because I think it's only going to be worse going forward. So, you know, you watched that first half and Rob Holding was just made to be the free man and everybody else was covered off and it was Rob Holding trying to beat us. And, you know, if Southampton is able to do that to us, what is Manchester City going to do um, in that same kind of situation? And I, I think that it just really puts a lot of pressure on him. And, you know, it's one of those, when Rob Holding first came in, you know, teams don't necessarily have the film and being able to build a game plan against him. So maybe he's flattering to deceive a bit early with his performances, but now there's five matches of film and you know Pep was looking forward to this match. I, you know, I, I guarantee you they were focused on Arsenal or versus, you know, Sheffield United. Uh, they they were looking to this match, and I, I bet you they were training to you know figure out how we're going to do that. So I, it feels like you have to do something here. And I don't know. I've gone back and forth. Like, do you move party to right back? I don't know if that really because it's Adam. Like, what do you think? Is it is it trying to get your eleven best players on the field and you know position kind of be damned, or is it more focus on something else? It's a good question. Um... I think I think it's it's got to be a little bit of both, um, but I think I think that from from a tactical like mindset perspective, what you're talking about, Scott, where you're saying match, um, I think I think that has to play a big part of it. So what what's concern number one when you face Manchester City? It's the big Norwegian guy. <laughs> um, so for me, like I'm doing everything I can to strengthen. I mean, he's, you know, he scores a lot of goals by running past defenders. So I'm looking to strengthen that area right, right around there the, as much as I can. I'm doing everything I can if I'm Mikel Arteta to make sure that Gabriel is the one who's marking him. Um, whether it's Holding or Kivior or Tierney or Ben White, I want Gabriel on him because he's, he's a dog. He's big. He will fight him. And that's, that's what needs to be done. Um, and then, you know, you look at concern number two, I think is Jack Grealish coming off the left. So, uh, you know, do I want to throw Reese Nelson out there and try to have him mark Jack Grealish? No. Uh, so could Thomas Party do it? I don't think so. I really don't. Um, I just, you know, it's not, it's not his skill set. He's, he's like a smooth gliding gazelle of a player um, who is great when he's great and, you know, when there's a lot of pressure, he seems to shrink. And I don't I don't really want to make him change positions for a game like this. Uh, so I'm looking at trying to keep Gabrielle on Holland. I'm looking at trying to keep Benjamin White on Grealish to the extent possible. Um, and then, you know, I'm less worried off the right, whether it's Bernardo or, or Riyad Mahrez. We might have to go a little weaker on that side. 
so that's probably Zinchenko still because we need that progression. We need to uh, that beating the press. Mm-hmm. Can't take out the captain. Can't clearly can't take out Granit Xhaka. Uh, Saka and Martinelli are the stars of the show. So I look at all of that and I say, okay, what's the least damage I can do from there? Um, based on the Liverpool and West Ham game, I would go Kivior over Tierney. Okay. Um, because I thought he cost us a lot, um, particularly in Liverpool. He, I was shocked after after watching the film back and seeing how many, uh, like almost gimmies he gave away against Liverpool, at least two. Um, I was shocked to see that he came in in the 88th minute. That's that's crazy. Um, and then I, you know, I do I do blame him for Jared Bowen's goal too. But um, so. Whether it's but but regardless of who it is, like I think I do think that I gravitate more toward make five defenders instead of four. Um, yeah, we're gonna have to ask multiple players to be more defensive in this game. We just are because if we come out in a in a four three three or a four two three one and try to play three thousand passes, play around them, I just I would I would question I would at least feel iffy at full strength doing that against Manchester city. They're just in great form. Um, there are millions of pounds, hundreds of millions of pounds side. They just are. So I would probably take more of your approach and try to match their formation a little bit. They're going to come out in that like four, one, four, one, or four, like three, two, yeah, it, it's, four, one. Yeah. It, it depends. It could, it's a, a very flu- or yeah, It fluctuates based on the performance. Right. Cause I imagine, you know, you'll, you'll Matt, you'll see John stones come back into like the middle of the, you know, or I guess the middle of the defense, but plays as a center back when they don't have the ball or, and then plays as a midfielder when they do have the ball and, you know, play this kind of, you know, where it's, it's very classic pep, right? We're just going to stick all the guys in the middle of the field mm-hmm. and we're just going to control the match. And I think that if Arsenal don't do that, it's very easy for Arsenal to get overrun in the middle of the pitch and, just not be able to see the ball. And then you'll have the suffocating pressure of not being able to get out of our own half. And um, maybe like would play devil's advocate saying Tierney maybe is the guy there. I think, you know, you think he's, he's had the experience as being the, the left-sided center back. Um, it's more of his natural positions kind of a thing, right? Like where he's not asked to do midfielder type things. Um, if we do have the ball, like maybe he can go to the wide left spot where I think he's a little bit more comfortable rather than, you know, being in more of the, you know, the DM type positions that Zinchenko would be in that allows us to actually have maybe a potential double pivot. Um, you get more of a uh, party in the positions that he's let, he likes because, you know, against the Southampton, he had to drop back into that deep right position over and over again. And I feel like that kind of destabilized so much of the buildup. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, again, I, I keep going back to this. It's just like, it doesn't feel like there's a, a good option here no. overall. Um, I think that we need to have some control in this match. I don't think it can be a, you know, 65% possession to them. I think if we can get it closer to, you know, 60, 40 or 40, you know, five fifty-five, mm-hmm. I feel a lot better about our chances because I, I don't want to see wave after wave of attack against Arsenal. No. And I, I think that, I mean, I, th- I think that even with a lesser, like a lineup we don't feel great about, I, that's not really what I'm expecting is wave after wave. Like that's, 
if you look at things like field tilt and shots and stuff, I mean, even in the games where it's zero, zero, it's usually city, you know, it's 70% possession and they're, you know, the, the tilt is all their direction, everything like that. But I think, I mean, Arsenal are a good enough side to, to neutralize that. I, I think, but I mean, it's, it's going to take some, like, let's, you know, make no bones about it. You cannot switch off at the back in this game. We can't have, you know, Rodri, or Gundogan or somebody making a run to the back post unmarked because they're going to let's, I mean, with Arsenal's luck and with how good city are, they're going to put it exactly where it needs to be. It's just, yes. just going to happen. So we just need to do everything we can to make the shots, the least val like the least valuable they can be. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I really, I agree about controlling the game. And, and for me that I want to stick, I want to keep party in the midfield. Um, I'm crazy disappointed with his last two performances. I think, you know, as the guy who's almost 30 uh, in this side, second highest paid player on the team. I mean, you got to do more than this, bud. you got to do more. <laughs> he hasn't been good. Yeah. Enough. Right. Like I, I feel like at, at some point it's like the expectations are crazy high and the level of difficulty of the position that we put him in, like where he is kind of like on the Island. But then I also go back to like, you're supposed to be one of the best midfielders in the world, in the world. And this is why we signed you. Right. Like, yeah, it, it feels like it, it's like we, we, he's in a tough position, but that's why you get paid the big bucks. Right. Um, so he's yeah, got to be, yeah. I've been, I've been disappointed with him too, right? he can't be, he can't be a liability. He's got to be part of the reason we win. Um, yes. And it's not, not even just him, anyone we put there, if, if we come out next season and are playing Declan Rice at six, he's got to be the same. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be, if you're going to be the single pivot, um, at this level, you just, you, you can't, you can't perform like that. And, and regardless of whether he's completing, you know, line breaking passes and how many dribbles he's got and how many turnovers he's got. I mean, there's no way around the fact that carelessness in his own third uh, 30 minutes into the game, up 2-0, starts the West Ham comeback. Yeah. I don't think Declan Rice handled the ball. I don't. Um, I don't think I would call that back. But I do think Paqueta dove. But, um, you know, that's neither. Yeah, I think two things are true there, right? I think it's a, a dive, but I also think he's fouled, right? I, I think he absolutely buys the penalty. But I also think that when you dive in like that, even if he's trying to pull out, he still makes the contact. He still, yeah, I think that's still a foul regardless. And I think that's some of the thing to sort of like the incentives that end up with, you know, the refereeing. Like if yeah. he tries to stay up there, even though he's fouled and like he's knocked off balance, like do you get that call? I don't think so. Not I think it's very similar to the, the Jesus one where he gets, you know, against Leeds, where he gets, you know, tapped on the knee. You look at, you know, his next step, like, he probably could have stumbled and tried to stay up, but you know he he gets the he gets the penalty right. He gets fouled and he dives, but you know it's a dive, but it's still a foul. I think that's a similar kind of situation that. there. City are very good at that. Um, oh, 100 percent right. Bernardo Silva, like I feel like, is gonna you know have his you know goggles on and ready to go. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but was it last season already, or was this the first game? I think it was last season. He he drew the penalty against Jacka. Yeah, yeah. The shirt grab. <laughs> yeah. Um so I mean, yeah, I'm I'm looking I'm looking for people to not make those kind of tackle attempts near goal. 
the last thing, I mean, the last thing that Arsenal can do is give City a penalty or two penalties or, you know, so, I mean, that, I mean. Yeah, no red cards too this time. And there's certainly an argument that maybe if you're looking for that, that maybe Rob Holding is not your guy. Um, he does get a little too stuck in and. Plays on the edge, right? Because I think we saw that in the FA Cup match where because he knows he can't stay with somebody over open yards, mm-hmm. he really over, he kind of does like the per Mertesacker thing, but doesn't do per, per Mertesacker things as good as per Mertesacker did, where yeah. he's overly aggressive in that first you know phase of play, trying to cut out passes or get up close to a person um, and like, there's just so many times where you know you can just do a wall pass and spin on Rob Holding, and then he's five yards behind the play, and it's just a, a real bummer. He's a limit. He's a limited player who would probably be fine, you know, at Wolves or something. Um, but yeah, he's at Arsenal, and Arsenal play a high line now. So sorry, bud. <laughs> and I, I think yeah, if, so, you know, if we were healthy, he wouldn't be starting. Oh, 100%, right? Because he's the the third, maybe fourth choice at that position, think, right? It's like depends on how can, many yeah. other people are around, but people people absolutely hate the argument. But I think I think in literal terms, if if every other player is healthy, it goes Saliba, then one of White or Tomiyasu, and then the other one, and then Rob Holding, most likely. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean that does kind of double count like the right back position, but you know if you're actually if you if you were literally listing out a you know ranking choice of who would play right center back. Rob Holding yeah. would be fourth on that list. So he's like an operational third choice, literal fourth choice. Yeah. Um, I, I think that there's another, there's a lot of topics to choose from today, but I think I want to finish talking about Gabriel Jesus. Yeah. Um, I know that there's been a bit of discussion about like, do we need an upgrade on him? Um, which I think is unfair because if we were talking, you know, a couple months ago, when he got hurt at the World Cup, we thought that he was the most transformative player on this team. But now some of the finishing stuff has come back to bite him a bit, and that's kind of changing people's thoughts on him. I just want to, you know, feel you out. Like, where are you on Gabriel Jesus right now? I'm in his corner. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good spot to be, I think. Yeah, I mean, I... I've had, I've, I've shared a lot of my opinions since this game. I, I do. I think that it was a good performance by him. No, um, he left, I mean, no doubt he left opportunities on the table. That's, that's like the risk you take with a player of his, of his, of his, uh, skill set. But it's, this isn't like something that we, um, this isn't a surprise. I think that, you know, Jesus is holistically, a very difficult player to upgrade on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Vlaovic gets a lot of love as, you know, the example of like the target man striker. Um, but I, you know, I think if you bring in Vlaovic, you bring in Dominic Calvert-Lewin, um, they finish some headers that Jesus leaves. They probably finish some that are between the six and 18 yard lines, you know, um, that Jesus might miss. But the, like what is the what's the what's the uh, what's the effect to the ecosystem that is the the attack? Yeah. Um, we saw Gabriel Martinelli struggle pretty pretty heavily uh, when he had a striker who did not want to leave that little area between you know kind of between the sticks really, um, and that that was a hard that was a hard thing for him. So 
I think you see you see more goals come from the striker, but you see everybody else's tail off would be the effect. Yeah. The other thing, I mean, you know what? It just it just feels like it feels like a very unrealistic um, desire from the fans for me, and not not unrealistic to say Jesus should finish better because I think he should. Uh, that swoon right before the World Cup really cost him a lot in terms of like yeah. the X, XG goal gap. Um, coming into this one, he had four goals and three, though. <laughs> I think people forget yeah, about Yeah, and so, yeah, he's, he's at four goals um, in 5.1 expected goals. Um, he was five goals, or basically four goals and four um, before this match. So, yeah, this was a, a tough one, right? Six shots led the team. Like, that's a really positive thing. 1.1 expected goals. You know, some really decent chances there overall. But it's just the, you know, one shot on target and not able to put any of them in. I don't know. I, I kind of like thought back and it's like, there wasn't really any one like really bad miss there. I think it was kind of like the accumulation of like, yeah. Oh, some half chances kind of thing that just disappointed. I think the frustrating part for me was like, it felt like in the last 10 minutes, he was almost more looking to create a penalty yeah. versus create a shot or a shooting opportunity for him. Where mm-hmm. I think he was starting to feel it too. Right. Where it's like, I, I'm, I don't have it today. So I'm going to try to create it through a, a, a yeah. penalty. Oh yeah. I mean, and that's, that is a, I mean, that's a very common trait in athletes, to be honest. I think only, only the elite guys will say, you know, I'm having a bad day. I'm going to play through it and I'm not going to look for, I mean, I'm, I'm a Minnesota Timberwolves fan. Like the last two postseasons, I've had to endure Carl Anthony Towns, who the first, the first non-call um, that makes him upset destroys his game, the entire rest of yeah. the game. He's just off and he's barking at the refs. And so it's, I mean, it's, it's understandable. Um, it's disappointing when the stakes are that high. And then, you know, you start to look back and you say, God, if, if Jesus just put one of those away, then the Odegaard and the Saka go, are, are the equalizer and the game winner. Right. Um, so it's, but I think ultimately Southampton is more of a blip for him mm-hmm. um, than it is like, like uh, his calling card. You know what I mean? Like he's not, he is not as a player, he is not that performance. And that's, that's why it's disappointing. And you know, players have disappointing performances. Sometimes the reason that they're disappointing is because they're so good most of the time um, or, or like all of the time for some. So I think, I think it's an overreaction. Um, I've already written for our site. Why I don't think that the stuff about the big number nine makes any sense. Why tactically, financially, um, just we've just we just committed to two different strikers for five years each. It would yeah. be a complete mess to go back on that now, right? And then we have the we already have a striker mess on our hands trying to figure out what we're going to do with the backup next year. Is yes. it going to be Eddie and Kedia? Is it going to be uh, Flo Balligan? That's already a headache. Um, and if I was you know doing my prioritization of my shopping list for next season, backup striker is way down list of things yeah low enough to the point where the amount you're likely to have left is not going to be transformative at that position i mean we're talking about you know rasmus hoyland the the 20 year old um came from what the austrian league to atalanta and he's got less goals than jesus in about the same amount of time and atalanta are going to ask for like 50 million euros for him and this is for a 20 year old guy i mean in my opinion 
put him into the Arsenal lineup. And no, it's not. He's not going to match. He's not going to come close. It's going to be worse than Eddie Nketiah was because he's just not ready yet. Yeah. And and you're paying 50 million euros for that guy. So what do you think is going to cost for a guy who's ready to play for Arsenal, who's a plug and play? It's going to be a lot of money. Yeah. So just no, I think that, that really, yeah, it does match, right? Like, right. Like I think we all would have our, our list of things that we're able to do and, you know, in a perfect world, right? You would have two really good strikers back there, but I think, you know, I think this is right. And like, this is part of, you know, I think we're the teams ahead of schedule where we're, we built depth for making a top four run. Mm-hmm. And I think that the depth that we have show has shown itself to be at that level that we needed it to be for a top four run. And now it's, you know, being able to compete in two fronts and be able to really solidify and take that next step. So I think that, you know, this, this season has been amazing, but it, it did feel like it's coming just a bit too early. Um, I, and I, I'm, I'm still optimistic that this isn't the end, even if it is, you know, the end for the season. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to, we'll have to t- come back to it after Wednesday. Because um, that's going to be, I mean, you, you put out the chart this morning. It's going to be so big. Um, yeah. Um, so just to, yeah, to, to reiterate, so like I, I did pull the numbers. I ran the, the simulation last night. And um, a win really helps Arsenal. Um, not you know, not surprisingly, um, that that's a kind of rare event. It's about a twenty percent for Arsenal to be able to win right now in this match. But a win for Arsenal brings us from about a thirty-three percent chance of um, that's where I have Arsenal right now, and it brings us to seventy percent. So that's a huge six-point swing. A loss is basically season over. That puts us at fourteen percent. Mm-hmm. So it's really really tough. A draw helps a little bit, but it basically kind of helps us stand still where we need Manchester City to, you know, drop and make a mistake going forward. Um, uh, yeah. With that, how do you see the match going? You got a, you got a prediction? Uh, yeah, no, I I think all right. I'm I have to I have to be honest. I think that I do think that we're gonna lose. Um, I don't I don't like to be a lose predictor, and I hope mm-hmm. that I'm wrong, but. You know, I think it's going to be probably like three one. Just seem to be we seem to be hanging our heads a little bit. Um, the personnel problems that we've had. There are so few sides who could withstand essentially two injuries at the same position and come out and play as well. Um, you know, especially when you're when you're like you're talking about a club that runs a high line and and the two injuries are basically the first and next choice back there uh so it's just i think i think it's just we've got we got more than we were trying for or not more than we were trying for but more than we expected this season and just was not quite there to be able to withstand that that level of like injury and turnover and everything so i i am a little bit afraid that there's going to be another relatively early goal from city. Maybe we show 15, 20 minutes that are promising after that. Um, I think, you know, maybe we get, maybe we grab one when we're like two nil down, but city put it away. Um, not a complete blowout or anything like that, but, but a game that city get ahead and kind of stay ahead. Um, and then finally put the nail in the coffin late. That's my prediction. Holland gets, yeah. Holland does get one. Yeah. I kind of am leaning two nil to city. I, I think it's a very similar kind of, play out like they get a first half goal and then they just strangle the match um making it like the most boring thing to watch in the whole world yeah. and 
perhaps you know Arsenal really overcommit late because we have to, and they get something on the break and make it two. Like um, I, that's kind of how I see it playing out. Unfortunately, like there is a path obviously for Arsenal to be able to do it. You know, like I think that you know it, if it does happen, it's going to come through you know like Martinelli or Saka. I think you know being able to exploit some space potentially, and like I think that is the the way that Arsenal, you know, be able to get a goal in this match, it's through them. Um, if we're able to maybe take advantage early and do that, um, then it is kind of like a see if we can sustain and, you know, I guess handle the waves of pressure that are, you know, probably due to come. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if I see Arsenal getting more than two goals, though, in this match. Yeah. I mean, collectively, we gave them zero and one. So that sounds right. I think that the dream scenario for me is that uh, that facing their former side is what gets Zinchenko and Jesus up for this. Um, they were two of the more disappointing guys out there against Southampton. And I, I would love for this to be for them an opportunity to say, you know, you messed up should, you know, you should have given me, you know, I mean, City could use Zinchenko right now, uh, as good as Ake has been. Uh, hopefully, he's out on Wednesday, but it seems like maybe fifty-fifty at this point. Um, so that would be that would be the dream. Um, but yeah, I think I think that you're right. Any any sort of result is going to probably feel like a smash and grab type of thing if we can get it. Um, it's just uh, it's a difficult it's a difficult fixture to have when things are not kind of vibing your way. Um, and even, even going back a couple of weeks, I think I, I felt more confident in a situation where Arsenal not, maybe not even run the table, but get most of the points in all the other games and drop maybe the full three against city and then get some help being the way to the championship. So it's, yeah, it's, it's tough. I, I really hope that we're both wrong on this one. That's all I'll say. Yeah, and I think to, to end things on a slightly positive note, it, it feels like this game doesn't have the same sort of mental block for Arteta that Liverpool does. I think that he's carrying a lot of scars from playing against Liverpool as a player, and I think that that kind of seeps potentially into the team, or I feel like we've had worse performances against Liverpool than we have against Manchester City. And I feel like Arsenal aren't afraid of the moment against Manchester City. So I think that that would at least be a positive. That I don't think that the Etihad is going to be a stadium that is intimidating and is going to make us feel like we've lost in the tunnel. This is the first time this season that we've had Thomas Partey against them. And I think that that is something that could potentially um, really, like, right? If If we do think that he is the midfielder that you know, we do think he is like, this is the time for him to show it. This Mm -hmm. is the time for Zinchenko to step up. This is the time for Jesus to step up. I think those are the guys that we are absolutely going to be looking for. Um, They're basically going to be the spine of this team against them. And I think if we're going to have any sort of chance, it's going to be those guys Mm -hmm. being able to win and, you know, not have us be overrun in their positions. Yeah, no, I I agree completely. That, that is a good point that, um, their building is not the fortress that Liverpool's is, and, and that that does make the game a little bit more up for grabs early. Um, 
one really, really encouraging thing. And I would love for Arteta to get this back in, in our guys' minds is like, you guys went into Anfield and you took two, mm-hmm. um, you know, 35 minutes of basically dominance. Uh, Liverpool had a couple of good chances in the first 35 minutes, but it was, it was an impressive showing for 35. I think it was an impressive like performance for like 80 minutes. Right. Yeah. Like I yeah. thought that, yeah. I just like meant overall, executive. Like, but, yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, um, like, yeah. The Liverpool definitely got back into it, um, you know, with that that goal, and they put some pressure on. But I think, you know, if we if the game ended at eighty minutes, we would have come away feeling really, really good about yes. the performance. But it was the last 10, 15 minutes that really, you know, kind of colored the result. Yes, it absolutely did. So, to the extent that he can. You know, you almost want to be like Arteta, show them the first 80 minutes of that game because that was that was a much more hostile environment uh, with less talented players, but, um, you know, much more hostile. And and I think, I, you know, like minor side prediction is I think that that result will look better in a vacuum at the end of the season than it does right now. Liverpool are quietly sneaking back um, into the European spots. They're not going to miss Europe. Uh, Tottenham are now going to be on their second acting manager. That just happened. That was confirmed during this recording. Wow. Um, okay. Stellini is out. So, uh, I mean, he deserved that for you doing that back four. Talk about galaxy brain, right? Uh, <laughs> there you go. But yeah, so it's, you know, their spot I think is up for grabs. Villa are still ahead of Liverpool. Who knows what can happen there? So I think, I think they're going to get maybe fifth, maybe sixth. Be not so far There's off. There's a 15% chance or so of sneaking into fourth. Yeah, it's not. So, I mean, we might be talking about going to Champions League side uh, Anfield and and grabbing a draw. Um, I don't know. It's I just feel like that, that result will look better now. Or, sorry, it will look better at the end of the season than it did. Uh, you know, because, I mean, I remember people were saying, like, oh, they hadn't had a win in three weeks or something. And I'm like, well two weeks of that were the international break. <laughs> like I think it was two games before that they had beaten Manchester United seven nil Manchester yeah. United were in third place. Like, what do you, what do you need from us? Like that was in the same building too. That was Anfield. Um, so yeah, I think Arteta has got to make those guys remember what they were feeling the first like 30 minutes of that game, because they, I thought, you know, it wasn't perfect, but they came out and looked like they were, like you can kind of see teams make that leap where you go into a difficult game and you do not, you don't hide from it. Um, you know, I was really pleasantly surprised at some of the, like some of the North London Derby performances we've seen in the Conte era where it was like, yeah, this, this, like, this isn't the arsenal that I've been watching the past few years where it's like, we're trying to hang on for dear life against these big set, these big teams. We're going to like control this game. So get them there. Um, you know, whether, whether they feel the most, like, I, I hope that, it seems like Arteta is a holistic and uh, empathic enough guy to be able to go into the room and say, this is the guy that, that everybody's ready to like circle the wagons around, whether it's Rob holding or somebody else and make that change because that's whether it's Tierney, Kivior, I don't care. I don't, I mean, I don't care which 11 start if we get a win. I do not care about that. I just want to win it. (laughs) I just want to get the results. So I think that's a, a good spot to end it. We all want to get that result. It doesn't matter how it happens. Let's just get that result. So I think that, that'll be it for today. If you enjoyed the episode and you'd like to support the podcast, please consider subscribing, becoming a premium member. It really helps us to be able to, to do more of these kinds of things. 
if you liked the show, uh, ratings, reviews, I suppose, are, are always good doing those kinds of things. If you want to stay up to date, um, all of the social media stuff is Canon Stats, so Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, yeah, YouTube, do those things. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you after the next one. And believe, guys, we got to believe. We can do it. Got to believe. Bye, Adam.